Coming up, it's Philosophy Talk. The failure of the country to get behind New York City is, is anti-Semitism. Max, the city is terribly run. But, but I'm not discussing politics or economics. This is foreskin. Where did anti-Semitism come from? Is it racism? Religious bigotry? Economic anxiety? I know that people want a scapegoat. Why do they have to pick on the Jews? A lot of the association between Jews and international finance have to do with their presumed lack of loyalty. Our guest is Francesca Trivellato from the Institute for Advanced Study. When we study anti-Semitism, we see that there isn't really an arc from a religious to a political or a pseudo-racial form. Uh, it's more a piling on of uh, different elements. The changing face of anti-Semitism. I may hate myself, but not because I'm Jewish. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Where did anti-Semitism come from? Is it racism, religious bigotry, or something else? And what can history teach us about what's going on today? This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Ray Briggs. And I'm Josh Landy. Today we're coming to you from the Stanford Humanities Center. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where I teach philosophy, and Josh directs the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. We're very grateful to the Stanford Humanities Center for generously sponsoring tonight's conversation. And we're pretty excited to be back with a live audience after two and a half years. So welcome everyone to Philosophy Talk. Today, we're thinking about the changing face of anti-Semitism. You know, Ray, anti-Semitism is a, a big a problem these days, and I don't see it getting any better. I mean, you've got both the FBI and the Anti-Defamation League reporting massive increases in incidents over the past several years. Yeah, and not only that, but anti-Semitism is a really old problem. You know, back in the Middle Ages, Jews were getting banished from their home countries and getting massacred because people blamed them for the plague. Yeah, and don't forget the forced conversions to Christianity, the murders in the Inquisition. It's been not entirely great for us Jews for quite a long time. <laughs> yeah, and the, the strange thing is, is that it's hard to even talk about the problem without people assuming that you're trying to diminish other people's suffering or that you're trying to advocate for some controversial policy. Yeah, well, the only thing I'm trying to advocate for is people being nice to each other. Ah, oh, amen to that. So, Josh, where do you think all this intolerance comes from? Well, I, I mean, I've got to think that at least part of it comes from scapegoating. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the situation with the, the bubonic plague all those years ago. There was a similar weird conspiracy theory about COVID recently. Bad stuff happens in the world. People want someone to blame for it. So, you know, they pick on us Jews. Okay, I, I get that people want somebody to blame when bad stuff happens, but why blame the Jews specifically? Well, you know, we, we eat different foods, we celebrate holidays at different times, maybe we dress a little differently. That makes it easier for the surrounding population to separate us out, identify us, and, you know, point the finger at us when it's convenient. I don't know, like Jews don't always eat different foods or dress differently from everybody else. A lot of us just eat Big Macs and wear jeans. That doesn't protect us from prejudice. Why not? Well, maybe, you know, wearing jeans and eating Big Macs isn't enough for some people. I mean, look, I'm not talking about everybody. I know plenty of extremely egalitarian Christians. Yeah, yeah, some of my best friends are Christian. <laughs> but there are clearly some Christians who, you know, would rather prefer that 
Jews went to church on Sunday and believed the things that they believe. And, you know, if we don't do that, maybe that marks us off a little bit as suspect. Yeah, no, and there is that sort of long-standing strand in Christian theology that blames Jews for the death of Christ. Absolutely. I mean, you know, think back to the medieval period when, when huge numbers of Jews were being forced to convert to Christianity. In some cases, it was either convert or die, you know. So, well, maybe the problem's really that base about religious intolerance. I don't know if it can all be religious intolerance. Like, think about Germany in the 30s and 40s. You could convert to Christianity all you wanted, but that still wouldn't protect you in the slightest. So I don't think it can just be that. Okay, so what is it all about? Well, honestly, I, I think it's racism. So look, being Jewish is something that you inherit. It's something that's associated with stereotypes about your physical appearance. And a lot of people think it's not a thing that you can change just by converting or assimilating. You know, this, this kind of essentialist thinking is behind some of the greatest atrocities of the 20th century. I mean, that's true for the 20th century, and it may be true still today, but, I mean, just how far back does that go? I feel like, you know, if you, you look to older stereotypes, they tend to be less about race and more about money, right? So think about Shylock in The Merchant of Venice, right? He's depicted as a heartless, grasping moneylender out for his literal pound of flesh, that's arguably an anti-Semitic depiction, but it's not about race. I mean, isn't that more about people taking their economic anxieties and then projecting them onto the Jews? Well, yeah, people do project their economic anxieties, but that still doesn't explain why they project them onto the Jews and not onto somebody else. And I think the only thing that can possibly explain it is racism. I don't get it, Ray. I mean, how can it be about racism when Jewishness isn't a race? Like, there's Jews from all over the world. There's Jews from Eastern Europe, Syria, China, Ethiopia, plus you can convert to Judaism. I, I don't understand how it could possibly be thought of as a race. Yeah, but none of that really matters. It doesn't matter that Jews aren't all from the same place, don't all look alike. It doesn't even matter whether race is a real thing at all. I think what matters is that Jews are perceived as a race and that that's where anti-Semitism comes from. I don't know, though. I mean, you know, in the grand sweep of human history, talk about race is a relatively recent phenomenon, whereas, as we were both saying earlier, anti-Semitism, that's age old, right? I mean, surely a lot of it goes back to the kinds of jobs that Jews were forced to take up in the Middle Ages. They were often siloed off into financial professions, which led to a number of people associating Jews with money, which had all the downstream consequences that we know about. Yeah, but a whole lot of non-Jews also worked in finance, so why not blame them? Well, some of them got blamed too, but, but you're right. I think Jews have borne the brunt of it. Uh, six million of us were murdered in the Holocaust, including some of my own relatives. Yeah, some of mine too. So it's affected you directly, it's affected me directly, and so many others. It continues to affect us today. I think we need to dig deep into the historical roots of these pernicious myths about Jews and Jewishness. How did we end up in the situation we're in today? Well, fortunately, we're going to be joined soon by historian Francesca Trivellato. She's the author of a book about the emergence of finance capitalism and how that interacted with anti-Semitism. But first, we're going to think about anti-Semitism today. Many Jewish leaders and educators blame the problem partly on a lack of basic knowledge about the Holocaust and about modern-day anti-Semitism. So we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed, to talk to some people who want to change that. She files this report. When Michaela Pelta was in high school in San Francisco, she served as a Jewish student union rep for the West Coast. I have just seen that if I'm not going to do it, no one else is going to do it. 
Her great-grandmother on one side and grandfather on the other are both Holocaust survivors. I was so quiet about my Jewish identity for so many years of my life. In the summer of 2020, she began hearing from Jewish students that they were seeing anti-Semitic posts on social media. For example, comparing Jews to apes. And it made us think that, you know, anti-Semitism didn't just form within a month or two. Um, a lot of our peers were harboring these views and kind of waited until they wouldn't be confronted by us in the hallways or have to, you know, face a Jewish student the next day to then express that. A lot of ideas that were so sedimented into the foundations of our culture that they just return and return and return. David Livingston Smith is a professor of philosophy at the University of New England. He says education around anti-Semitism isn't adequate, and there also isn't nearly enough education around anti-Black racism or the genocide of Indigenous people. You have to understand the ideological and political and social influences that are ginning people up to think of other people as less than human. Livingston Smith is the author of Making Monsters, The Uncanny Power of Dehumanization. We spoke soon after a white supremacist murdered 10 people at a supermarket in Buffalo. The suspect said he chose Buffalo because it was the city with the highest number of black people nearby. The suspect was also inspired by what's known as the Great Replacement Theory. Great Replacement Theory is an idea which is current in white supremacist circles, has been promoted on Fox, by Tucker Carlson, that there's a kind of plot to replace white people with people of color. And guess who's the mastermind behind that plot? Jewish people. Education is important for helping students recognize anti-Semitism so that they can call it out. Hashim Davis is a high school teacher in Virginia. He says people ask him a lot about why, as an African-American man, he's so focused on teaching about the Holocaust. It's really about an examination of, of humanity or man's lack of humanity. What will happen in these, in these moments? Davis grew up in New York and remembers trips to the city's five and dime store. The owner was a curmudgeon, mean as heck. But years later, after visiting the Virginia Holocaust Museum as an undergrad, he thought again to that man and one particular trip to his store. We go to the store and I want to buy this particular action figure. And he had short sleeve shirt on, you know, the, the button collar, but it was, it was short sleeve. And I noticed that he had some writing on his, his arm. Well, it took me years to realize, oh, he was a survivor. So I, I just thought it was a, a, a moment of serendipity that I would find myself coming back to it. Now Davis has dedicated his professional and academic life to studying and teaching about the Holocaust. His students meet with survivors, and he tells his students about how the Nazis were influenced by Jim Crow laws in America. And he says they're godsmacked. The history of the Holocaust is bleak, but important. Everyone always says, oh no, if it were me, I would have done this. I would have done that. I would have helped them. Yeah, that sounds cool. But the statistics would say that that didn't happen. In fact, more people turned away and more people didn't do anything than, than the opposite. 
As a Holocaust educator, Davis wants students to expand their definition of what anti-Semitism is, to understand it's a hatred connected to other hatreds. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly Jimteed. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.